Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Ed Gilbreth. In every episode, you'll hear from authors of color about the making of their books, as well as the challenges they had to overcome along the way. Hey, Helen. Hey, Myla. It is so nice to be with you here in the co-host spot today for the very first time. I know. It's fun to bring you out of the producer role and here into the broadcast booth. Well, I have been really enjoying the chance to work with you and Ed in all of these conversations. Although, I won't lie, I like Mm -hmm. the safer zone of being behind the scenes. Well, I know you really enjoyed this conversation with Heather Thompson Day. So if you were at all uncertain, it definitely didn't show. I got to tell you, this interview with Heather was so much fun to do. She has got amazing energy. She has Mm -hmm. so much great stuff to say. I was just taking notes left and right for my own sake because she was dropping pearls of (laughs) wisdom and truth all over the place. Yeah, she definitely was preaching. It felt like church. And so it was so great on so many topics. I mean, whether it was about her journey to publishing, how she thinks about social media, or even what she thinks the church needs to learn about when it comes to how we treat one another. So many good things. Yes, yes, yes. Well, the time I think is going to fly for our listeners as they hear from Heather and glean from her. So just be prepared. There are nuggets (laughs) coming your way. Yeah, I agree. Let's get the learning going and let's get our conversation started with Heather Thompson Day, author of It's Not Your Turn. We are excited to welcome Heather Thompson Day to the Every Voice Now podcast today. So welcome, Heather. I am here and I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you and just even for our conversation today. Just to start, would you tell our listeners a little bit about your personal backstory? So where did you grow up? Where do you live now? And also anything you'd like to share in regards to your family, anything like that? Yeah. So I grew up in, I always say it's like a one horse town, two stoplights, (laughs) really small really small place called Berrien Springs, Michigan. Um, I'm currently in Denver, Colorado, where I've been teaching at Colorado Christian University for the last two years. But due to some recent just health challenges in my family, I'm actually preparing right now to move back to Michigan um, because I feel like that is what God has called us to do to support my parents at this at this time in their journey. Well, we caught you in the midst of transition. So the one thing we ask our authors on this podcast is to share a little bit about their ethnic identity and your ethnic journey. And so what are some key moments in your ethnic identity journey that stand out to you, whether they were positive or negative? Can you talk a little bit about that? So I am biracial. My mother is white. My father is black. Um, He's actually bohemian. And actually, one of the reasons, actually, that my parents stayed in the two-stoplight town is because it has Andrews University, which is one of the most diverse universities in the nation. So the reason they chose to be there, it's tied with New York State University. The reason they chose to raise us there is because we were a multiracial family. And that decision impacted all the decisions that they made. So I ended up being able to grow up in a community where there were lots of people of color around me. 
And I got to see lots of examples of black excellence, which I, looking back now, I see how important those decisions that my parents made were for my own development. But yeah, I, I can remember being a kid and, and thinking that my mom is my absolute twin because to me, we were, we were the same person. And then quick, quickly going to school and finding out that other people don't see it that way. Right. I have it all the time. I heard people say that can't be your mom. She's white. And so I think those things also end up shaping your story. I will say for me, because I, I have a lot of students now that I've mentored who are biracial. But for me, I grew up with both my mom and my dad in the home. So I just always had a really healthy racial identity. I was always really, I think, privileged in the sense that I never saw my blackness as being less than because it just wasn't displayed for me in my family. I kind of learned that from racism in the outside culture, but not at all in my family dynamic. Like my dad, I talk about this in the book. My dad grew up one of 10 children to a single mother and every single one of them is college educated. So I had all these examples of black excellence, I mean, in my life and in my sphere. And so I, I just always had a really healthy racial identity, I think, that I'm grateful for. I, I love that you say you were surrounded by Black excellence. One, praise God that that is your experience. And also, I'm just curious, how do you think that's shaped and form your understanding of race? How are your reactions to even, I don't know, what we've experienced in 2020, 2021? What is that through your lens and perspective? I think what I've really taken in in the last several years is an unveiling of some of the things that I think I, I either blinded myself to because I didn't want to know or more within church culture, I think, than society. I think I've always expected, you know, you know that there's racism. Black. It's like, yeah. we know that. My dad, we always talked about what happens for him if the police pull you over. That's a normal part of like, I think just black identity and black experience. I think I didn't recognize that racism was so prevalent in the church. And I'm not sure now, looking back, I'm not sure how I missed that. Maybe because there wasn't social media, right? So <laughs> you, you sit next to people in a church pew on the weekend or at, you're with them at potluck and, oh, this is wonderful. But now I can see your innermost thoughts and ideas and perspectives broadcasted online. And now I feel very uncomfortable sitting next to you on the weekend. So it's changed, I think, for me more than like this cultural conversation, I think most Black people are aware of racism. For me, as a millennial, as somebody who my faith is so important and my faith community has been so important, I think I've been wounded and trying to still patch together pieces of how I view the church and how I step forward as a mentor to young people. And, and oh, stay in church. Like, how do I start these conversations with them about what the church can look like moving forward? It seems like, especially since 2016, I think the entire evangelical church has really been reckoning with that unveiling you're talking about, Heather, because I think that was an absolute flashpoint for us all of recognizing and realizing how embedded some of those issues of race were in the church. So I know for me, it was a, you knew that, of course, some of these issues and tensions were prevalent, but I felt like that certainly revealed that moment in history revealed for us all how deeply embedded it was. Thank you for saying that, because I feel better <laughs> knowing that's that, because in some ways, you know, you feel like, well, how did I miss this? I, I tell the story actually in the book. My So growing up, my my grandfather 
who is white, who was the most what like outside of my father, just a really crucial person in all of my upbringing, somebody who was a champion of mine. The first book I ever published used to keep a copy literally in his pants. And every time, every time he'd go to coffee in the morning, he would always pull it out and show the waitress or just show the people that he went to coffee with every morning when he was retired. He adored me. And this man is also the same man who, when he found out his daughter, who is my mother, was dating a black man. When he found out, he told her, all your stuff will be on the sidewalk if you continue in this relationship. And so I've, I come at, because I'm biracial, I think I come at conversations of racial identity very uniquely in the sense that I know that my grandfather, who I experienced as the most wonderful Christian loving champion man was also the same man who didn't go to his own daughter's wedding. And he didn't. And these two things coexist. And luckily for me and my parents' story, my grandfather, you know, they, they, once my parents had kids, it, they started healing their relationship. And it was a, a long road of racial reconciliation that, thank God, my dad said, you are more than your worst moment to him. And they, my dad would tell you that because my dad never had a dad growing up. So he would say that the father figure of his life was my grandfather. Right. So things, my girlfriend, they voted for Obama. Like they totally changed. Right. And so, so I want, I just want to, whenever we have these hard conversations about race, because at least I don't know about you guys, but my friends will say to me all the time, I want nothing to do with somebody who could think that way. And Heather, they say to me, Heather, there's no redeeming that. I don't believe that. I can't because I've seen it in my own family. I mean, I feel like as you're sharing your ethnic identity journey, just in and of itself, your experience shows us how nuanced that conversation is and how complex it is. And there's a reason why it's a journey. It's not this or this, which I think social media plays a big part in. Which side are you going to be on? There is no permission for nuance or complexities with social media. It's this or this, like pick your side. And so I think even in your own journey, it really shows us, man, this is a complex and nuanced conversation. Yeah. I teach persuasion. And one of the things we know is that we don't win arguments. We win affection. The goal is never to win an argument. You won't do it. Good luck. Our brains aren't motivated by logic. We're actually highly, I don't care who you are. We are all highly emotional people. And so how do we change as a society? Well, through relationship and through time and who's willing to do that work. And I just think a lot of us, because of social media, a lot of us are really quick to not want to do that work anymore. And we lose right? Because God is invisible because he's seen through his people. We have got to figure it out and we've got to make God visible again to the rest of the world. Cause right now when they say, I don't see him, that's on us, right? That's not on him. Absolutely. We have to get over our own prejudices, our own resistance, our own desire to not understand those who are different from us in whatever way we have to get over those barriers that we put up within ourselves. So good. Oh, We're preaching today. You're preaching, Heather. I didn't know we were going to church today. (laughs) So good. That that could be its own episode and its own podcast. Okay. Well, I've got to work hard to redirect us. 
Because <laughs> we want to talk about your writing and your book and all of that too. I mean, can you look back and do you remember a time when you began to think about writing books? I've always wanted to write books since about third grade. And it, that's a really good question, Milo. Where does that come from? I actually just talked about that with Karen Swallow prior. Where does that come from? Where do people decide you should write a book? I don't know. I just always had that desire within me. And, and I wish I had a better answer for it because I think it's like 80 something percent of people think that they want to write a book. Right. And obviously not all 80% of those people should. So how do you know? That's a good question. Karen Swallow Pryor says a calling is always affirmed from the outside. And so are other people, as I'm writing articles at the time, are other people saying, this is good. You have a gift. It was super fun to just see how your book made it well past and into the top 50 of Amazon releases, which was in, incredible to see. So as you look back on your book writing journey thus far, is there something that you can point to or something about your journey that can be a model for those coming alongside or after you about what it means to get into this book writing journey? What are some things that you've learned as you've gone through this yourself as an author. Yeah. I'm going to say this and people are going to get really angry <laughs> um, because I think community matters. And of course, this is like the, ev you guys know, every author says, well, I'm a writer. I don't have to have a platform in it. And I just feel like, you know, publishers of course deserve to make money. So that's, we, we, you got to be honest about what we're trying to do. You're not just writing for yourself. You're trying to sell something. So you need to know who's going to buy it. So I would say, and this is something Annie Down said to me, chase the community before you even chase the calling. Put people first, build a community. And I, I highly recommend every, if you want to write, so start with a tweet, <laughs> spend time there. My approach to social media, and I would recommend every author do this, is pay attention to who's showing up for you. I think a big mistake we make is we only pay attention if Beth Moore says something. And we miss, I call them, I say carols. I call them carols. So we miss <laughs> the carols. And what I mean by that is people who maybe have literally two followers in a picture, in a picture of a cat, and that's it, right? And they comment and you just totally skip over them. No, 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 no. You pay attention to all of your carols and you are faithful, right? Respond to them, comment on their posts. I was very intentional to say, I'm going to spend time not making this about me and trying to really just know and get in the lives of these people. And these same people now have like shown up for me in a way that I don't even deserve <laughs> at all. Right. So yeah, be faithful to people. Don't even pay attention to their fault. If they have two followers, I don't care. Well, thank you for sharing that. We need to take a quick break, but when we return, Heather will be doing a reading for us and we'll talk more about her book writing process. So stay tuned and thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. Myla, it is incredible to me that IVP is about to turn 75 years old. Do you believe that? That's amazing. I know. That is amazing. I mean, considering that so many book publishers have come and gone during that time. And so I'm so grateful to be part of such a long-standing legacy. Well, it's a testimony to IVP's commitment to publishing quality books, not to mention books by a diversity of authors. And this has been IVP's MO for the majority of its history. Yeah, and we keep finding more voices of color to highlight each and every season. And so visit everyvoicenow.com to find out how you can get a great discount on today's featured book and many more. 
Welcome back to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Helen Lee, and it's time for our Behind the Word segment, where we hear a reading from one of our authors and then find out more about what into the crafting of that portion of the book. So, Heather, you're going to be reading from your book, It's Not Your Turn. And before you do that, can you share a little bit about the theme of the book and then what led yeah. you to write this particular portion? Yeah. So I I wrote this portion because it's literally how I came up with the phrase, well, that everybody says, but how I started saying it in my life, it's not your turn. Um, So that's what I'm going to be reading to you from is pretty much just telling you the story of where the premise for this book came from. In the beginning, I had to fake it. The happiness, the peace, the congratulations, it all felt heavy to carry over the gap of where I currently was and where I wanted to be. I was a few years into my PhD and I couldn't find a job. I applied to what felt like every higher education institution with an opening in my field, and I kept getting rejected. At some point, it started to feel personal. For my daughter's first birthday, we planned a huge party. My little girl was turning one, and I wanted to celebrate her. I went to the store to buy food. I had just paid for my groceries when I realized I forgot to get paper party plates. As I handed my card to the woman on register, I watched as the gap between me with all my education and her with this minimum wage job evaporated. Ma'am, she said, your card is declined. My face got hot. Paper plates are $2.50. Y'all, I did not have $2.50. How in the world did this happen to me? I had a husband. I had a house. I had a daughter. I had nearly three degrees, but I didn't have $2.50. I was mortified. My husband and I got into the car with our groceries and drove home in complete silence. I cried myself to sleep that night. I felt like a failure. I remember emailing God a letter. There are actual sites that allow you to do that. And while, of course, I knew this email wasn't going to God's inbox, it felt therapeutic to hit send on all my grievances. I thought God opened doors and windows. I thought God owned the cattle on a thousand hills. I thought God answered prayers. Where was my testimony? It felt like God had played me. I had done everything right. I had focused on school. I excelled in my teaching, yet here I had nothing to show for it. At this same time, one of my best friends called, Jewel. She had just been hired by NASA as a recruiter for their minority student program. I couldn't get a job teaching at a community college, and Jewel was now employed by NASA. I'm so happy for you. I legit choked. And it's not that I wasn't happy for her. I was. I was just also so deeply sad for myself. That was the moment I learned a lesson in my life that I've repeated to myself a hundred times since. Heather, it's not your turn. Sometimes you show up to someone else's party. Sometimes you force yourself to clap when you really want to cry because emotions aren't always singular. You are allowed to feel sad for yourself while also being happy for what is happening to someone else. I clapped for Jewel because she deserved it. It wasn't my turn, but it was hers. And I had to be the friend she needed. I'm just ruminating on just the honesty and the vulnerability of what you just read to us and what you had written. I, I feel like it, it takes a lot of courage to be willing to just be so open about well, can I tell you? a really Hel- hard time. Yeah, go well, ahead. Helen, when we're talking about publishing books, here's one thing that I have said to God since I was um, probably a freshman in college. 
I have always told God, if you allow me to do this, if you allow me to write books, I will always tell the truth about my own story and I will always lead people towards you. And that's the commitment that I've made. And so there are people right now that are sitting listening to this podcast and they think, I'm, yeah, but everybody else is living these perfect lives and God has skipped over me. Right. And I just want people to know, no, that's not true. And everybody's life, I bet if we pass a mic has a season where if we're honest, this is embarrassing to even say out loud. And I think we have to do better at sharing that because else here's what I know as a professor, my students enter these embarrassing seasons and they think that there's something wrong with them because all they see are everybody else doing what they wish they could be doing. And it's really helpful to say to people, no, this is the reality of my journey. And it never meant that God wasn't with me. He was with me. I want to talk a little bit about this specific passage. Can you take us back to the time when you were crafting those words and what was going through your mind as you were writing this? By the time I wrote it down, it was a story that I had told to my students. Before I ever got a book deal, I was still being honest about the reality of the situations that I found myself in. So it was easy. And I'm, I just, and I say this in the book, I really believe this. What if more than God wants to give any of us success, he's trying to give us a story. Stories will outlast any Amazon book rankings. And I know that because I have lived off of other people's stories. Uh, You all know there's probably something that comes in your mind where either in your own life or somebody tells you this story of resilience and you're like, what if that God is available to me? And I'm going to live off that story. For me, it was my Nana going to Harvard at Mm -hmm. 70. She was a black woman during the civil rights movement who was a single mom to 10 kids. She couldn't dream dreams like college. And so she made sure every single one of her children went to college. And then when she could, she went to Harvard at 70. And that story, as I'm literally like during my PhD program thinking, I'm not, I am not like these other academics. Like I am not smart enough to do this. I'm going through my dissertation, just getting so many lines. I mean, I I can't even tell you how many drafts of my dissertation we went through. And I just remember thinking like, I'm not cut out for this, you know, like I'm not good enough. And I just would think of my Nana walking across a Harvard campus at 70. I said, if Nana can go to Harvard, you know what? I can finish this PhD, I think. And I did. And this is the first quote in my book. The spiritual mother to us all, Beth Moore says, much of the war against the devil is just about whether or not you'll quit. And I have, I have found that to be true. And there's things I'm still not quitting over because I haven't seen the proof of it. And, and here's Annie Down said this to me the other day. She said, but here's what, if I get to heaven and and, because the criticisms people often say to me is this is prosperity gospel. God's not going to give everybody everything. Of course he's not right. But that's on him. And how I live my life here is on me. And so I'm going to live with expectation and with hope. And when I get to, if it doesn't happen here, I'm going to get to heaven and say, God, what was up with that? You want to fill me up? What did I miss? And that will be his story to tell me. But the only story I have control over is how I live my life when it's not my turn. Because who we are when it's not our turn is actually more important than who we will be when it is. And I will, I will die on that hill. That's so profound. Oh my goodness. That's... I have to ruminate on that. That's so good. (laughs) Yeah. And it's true. 
Well, I think that we've already reached the end of segment two. The time flies so fast when we're talking with you. <laughs> it Yay! goes quickly. It goes very, very quickly. But when we return, we're going to continue our conversation with Heather and find out more about her personal writing habits, maybe some quirks. We'll see. And you'll find out how to get a special discount on Heather's book. So stay tuned. And thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. The world keeps changing at a dizzying pace. How can you stay current and discover biblical truths to meet today's challenges? Introducing Seminary Now, a new online on-demand streaming service where you can learn from gifted teachers such as Brenda Salter McNeil. The world as God intended is a multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic, and multinational place. James Chung. What is the gospel? Is it just about where you go when you die? Esau McCulley. When we look at the injustice in the world, we're going to address the perennial issue of slavery. And we're going to talk about the ways in which the Bible was misused to justify the oppression of black and brown people. And there are so many more great teachers to learn from. Get a 20% discount off your subscription by using the code EVN2020 at seminarynow.com. That's EVN2020 at seminarynow.com. The world keeps changing. Don't stop learning. You're listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, and I'm Myla Kim. Today, we've been talking with Heather Thompson Day, author of It's Not Your Turn. And so keep listening to find out how you can get a special 40% off discount on Heather's book at ivypress.com. First, let's find out a little bit more about Heather's writing habits and quirks. When you were writing It's Not Your Turn, what were the habits or disciplines that helped you stay on task? So what kind of kept you disciplined to writing this book? Yeah, and this book was actually hard for me to write because it was COVID had just happened. I think it was due in May and COVID happened. I got sent home in March. So I had a ton of it still to do. And I was living at the time in a duplex, my campus housing that they had given me because I just taken a new job. So I'm five people and two dogs in a 900 square foot duplex. Oh my and, goodness. Oh, finish your book. <laughs> oh my so goodness. It, it, I will say it was really hard to to get the time that I needed to go and do it and to be doing the reading that I needed to do to do it. So what habits did I do? Here's, I guess this is like, this probably isn't a quirk though. I'm I'm sure all writers are this way. When I write, I have to be by myself. I'll say that. Like, I'm not, you know how like offices have like open doors and I can't do that. If I'm, if I'm going to write something, I want to be totally in silence. I cannot have my phone, no distractions and just sit down and really get into the space of the story that you're trying to tell. As you were writing this book, was there just any notable or memorable incident that happened that just helped you know, you know, God is with me in this journey? I had lots of moments throughout this project, just moments where it's going to make me cry to even think about it. Things that only God would have known. And he has sent people to confirm those things right? A call us from the outside. So this internal thing that I had between me and the Lord, where people that I have admired my entire life have said to me the exact same words that I used to say alone to God. And it's just, and I just had an experience yesterday. That's why I'm super emotional about it. I tell one story in here, um, where we had just moved and we hadn't sold our house yet. And so, uh, I hadn't gotten paid, I think for like two months or something before we moved, just the way the jobs overlapped. 
And so we're super poor again, and I'm living in this duplex. And this is just two years ago. And my um, vice president called me and asked me to come to his office. And I went to his office and he said, I'm going out, I'm going out of the country for the next month. And I just felt like I was supposed to give you my university meal card. And he was like, you'll, he said, you'll never be able to spend all the money on it, but I want you to try. And I ate, my children ate in that cafeteria for a month and a half. And it was just this, and I, as I'm writing this book, right. And it was this moment for me where I was like, okay, what God doesn't take us around, he will take us through. Do I wish instead God had just given me $200,000 or sold my house, right? Do I wish that he would have done that? Yeah. I, it would have been much better for my dignity to not have somebody, a uh, vice president hand me his meal, which how did he even know? I have no idea how he would have known that I needed that, but he did. The Holy Spirit told him and he handed it to me. And these are the things that like I'll repeat to myself now over and over is, you know, what, what God doesn't take us around. He truly will take us through and he will walk us through the journey. And he does. And let me say this too. God works through people. And so again, all of my stories, you know, we say, oh, God did it, but it wasn't just God. It was that my vice president responded to the stirring that God put on his heart. And then there are people right now who are blaming God for not answering their prayers. And it's not on God. It is on you and I, because our neighbors are saying, Lord, see me, Lord, help me. And we are not responding to the stirring that God puts on our own hearts. And that's why we have to co-labor with Christ, even when it's not our turn, right? It is always your turn to help somebody next to you. You can always do that. I feel like sometimes there's this misconception that authors are just these, you know, isolated, lonely people who just close, yeah, close the door and they just kind of sit there and labor individually on their words. But really, yeah, as your example has shown, Heather, this very much feels like a, an effort that's been so collaborative on so many levels, although you are the author penning the words, you clearly have a community behind you and around I you. I love you saying that. That's like, I, that's all I want for my life. So you, you even just saying that again, the Holy Spirit is just affirmed. Okay. I'm on the right track. Cause I've literally been saying, God, I want people to feel like it's their book because it's all of our story. And I, my, the community that has supported me truly, who am I? I'm not famous right? And my community has literally treated this book as if I were. You know what I've learned through this? People want to help you. And we focus on the one person who hopes you fail, but there's probably 50 other people who do want to help you. And so how do we ask for help, right? And then how do we acknowledge those who have helped us? And I hope I can do that with my life. I am happy to ask for help. And I hope I can do a better job of acknowledging the people who have helped me. Well, as we wrap up our time together, I know that there are many people who are striving to be authors themselves, wanting to be authors themselves, potential authors of color listening to our podcast and to you. Is there any final word of advice that you would have for an up and coming author of color as they try to navigate this journey themselves? Yeah, two things. Read right? You can always think, why me? Why am I the person that can write this book? And that has to come to your own story. You have to be able to answer the question, why you? Why are you the person that has to be the one to write this book? So that comes from looking at your own story. And so then read in that space. For me, that was communication. I, I really want to make sure that I'm clear in my messaging and that I help other people be better communicators because it's actually like 
the, the biggest connection to our quality of life is how well we communicate with other people and have healthy relationships. So I'm really passionate about that. And so then I just had this moment where I said, why, why am I not like, I just need to read a book every single month on the same topic. And at the end of one year, 12 books later, do you think you couldn't jump on a podcast and talk for two hours? It'll just ooze from you because you've done the work. And more of us need to do the work. And that's what more authors need to do is why you, and then what are five books right now, when you get off this podcast, you can read and devour to train you to see what the other thought leaders in that space are already saying. And then how do I add to this conversation something that's unique? Wow. Well, Heather, we've come to the end of our time together. But before we go, we want to give you a few moments to share with our listeners any special projects you have going on right now, or just even where people can find you and reach you. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter. That's where I'm the most active at Heather T as in Thompson Day, D-A-Y. And I have a podcast that'll be coming out with Christianity Today um, called Viral Jesus, which I'm super excited about, where we talk to Christian content creators and ask them how they've made their faith go viral. Oh, that's amazing. Well, we will definitely link that in the show notes Yay! of this episode. But thank you, Heather. It's been amazing to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for your time. And now we want to share with you all that you can find Heather's book at ivypress.com. And if you use the code EVN40, you can get 40% off plus free U.S. shipping. So visit our site to get a real deal on Heather's books. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee, and our sound engineer is Jonathan Clausen. If you are enjoying our show, please share about it with your friends. We'd be grateful for your reviews and recommendations on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you directly anytime. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Every Voice Now. Or you can email us with your comments, questions, or suggestions at evn at ivpress.com. And join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now. <laughs>